I remember as a kid, my family had a subscription to our local newspaper. The Guelph Mercury was an afternoon paper that was delivered sometime between 4 and 6 o'clock. I would lay the paper on the floor so I had enough space to look at it, sort of like a big screen TV. It was in that paper that I would read the voice of my favorite cartoon character, Fred Flintstone, an actor by the name of Alan Reed, had died. It wasn't until seeing his picture in that paper that I found out what he looked like. I thought he kind of looked like Fred, actually. I also remember reading about singer-actress Cher divorcing her husband, Sonny. A story, then, that she married singer Greg Allman, and then a follow-up story of how she divorced him after nine days. I also devoured all the comics, read the obituaries, and would later read the classified section for tips on summer jobs. Then there was the one obscure story I know I read about singer Elton John visiting the city. Sometime in the early 1970s, Elton John visited the University of Guelph. Why he was there, I can't remember, but I know I read the story and saw black and white photos in the Guelph Mercury. Fast forward to January 29, 2016, the Guelph Mercury printed its final edition. Citing low circulation and low national advertising revenue, the paper, which started as a daily in 1867, the year Canada was formed, was no more. Since the Mercury's demise, there's been a lot of talk and opinion pieces about the future of newspapers. Radio and television has been grouped into that discussion given the job losses that have occurred across all media. The conversations included a lot of questions, with the main one being, how does the newspaper media become profitable again? And that's the focus of today's show. Test, 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 check, one, two, check, check. Coming down in three, two, one. This is Station to Station. I'm Joe Papia. I discovered a number of interesting angles when researching the newspaper industry. Everything from the changing audience, how that audience is consuming content, and of course, the changing media workforce. One recurring topic in the research was the nonprofit newspaper business model. A number of newspapers in the U.S. are using this, and some reporters in Canada questioned if the model could be used here. One story mixed into the articles about nonprofit papers was that of the Philadelphia Media Network. The PMN includes the Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia Daily News, and the web portal Philly.com. It's actually not a nonprofit. To explain what it is, I'm joined by Terrence Egger, who is the publisher of the Philadelphia Media Network. Terrence, let's make that our starting point. Owner Jerry Lenfest donated the paper to a foundation and established an endowment fund. So when we speak of nonprofit newspapers, the Philadelphia Media Network is not in that category. It's a, it's a very important point to clarify is that the Philadelphia Media Network is, is not a non-for-profit. It is owned by a non-for-profit. And uh, the Philadelphia Media Network uh, is still a... Is, is, converted from an LLC to a public benefit corporation, so a C-Corp, but a relatively new concept of C-Corps, again, known as a public benefit corporation. So what Mr. Lenfest did, uh, he was, you know, obviously, you know, Jerry is 85. He is one of the great philanthropists of, uh, of our time, certainly of this region. And uh, he and his wife, Marguerite, uh, were, you know, they uh, they they made their uh, their money in uh, the cable business many years ago, um, and they had dedicated to try to give away everything that they've earned to good causes, 
in their lifetime, if possible. And um, and so when Jerry uh, became the sole owner of the Philadelphia Media Network um, back in uh, uh, May, June of 2014, uh, actually Jerry and his partner at the time, Louis Katz, um, became the owners, co-owners, uh, having won the uh, auction for the Philadelphia Media Network. Um, and tragically, the same week that the deal closed, uh, Mr. Katz uh, was, again, tragically uh, killed in a plane crash. Um, and, uh, and his family then uh, wanted to uh, divest, and they sold the full share to uh, to Jerry. So Jerry became sole owner mm-hmm. at that time in 2014. Uh, right away, Jerry wanted to be sure uh, that, uh, as he says, you know, the most important uh, thing he and his wife Marguerite could do in their lifetime is keep, quote, keep journalism alive in the city that he loved. And so he looked, he was looking for a, a stable structure to try to help ensure that uh, for the long term. Uh, he began exploring a lot of different options uh, and, uh, and eventually came up uh, with the, the concept that we have now. And once um, the Philadelphia Media Network was converted from an LLC to a public benefit corporation. Uh, 10,000 shares uh, were uh, created for the company. Uh, Jerry then, uh, working with the Philadelphia Foundation, they created uh, a a subset of the Philadelphia Foundation, which is a non-for-profit, which, as you referenced, Joe, is the Institute for Journalism and New Media. Jerry then donated... 9,999 non-voting shares of um, PMN mm-hmm. to the non-for-profit. So they have they have the, the value ownership, but there was one share, the one voting share, remained with the Public Benefit Corporation and its board of directors through a trust, and that then you know, ensured the independence of the journalism and the business operation uh, with the board of directors of PMN. So we are a for-profit entity owned by a non-for-profit. And so that is is the uniqueness of the structure. But one of the desires was to ensure that those of us responsible for running the business still had an entrepreneurial attitude in trying to figure things out and the proceeds, uh, whether they be proceeds from the endowment or grants that might flow through the institute, the non-for-profit, could help underwrite some of our journalism. So that was the that was the okay. structure and the concept. You know, it's interesting. So you're a public, a for-profit company owned by a non-profit, but it, it seems that all of the writing that was done ahead of time with uh, the, the struggles that the newspaper industry has been having in Canada and the U.S., that it seemed that you were thrown into this uh, melting pot of, of, of all non-profit, but you are for-profit. Um, owned by nonprofit, which I guess is, you know, when doing the research of your paper, this is pro- possibly why it allows your company to also sell advertising. Right. Again, if you, you know, and, and looking at the various options, you know, if you, if we were solely a non-for-profit as a newspaper, then we would be limited in political endorsements. We would be limited in, uh, in access to capital markets, those kinds of things. And so this really, uh, we think, um, again, it's, it's new, but we think that given the struggles of the uh, business model 
for newspapers around the world right now, um, this is not a, a surefire solution, but through the institute, through the non-for-profit, again, proceeds from endowment and or direct grants that can have the tax benefit and help underwrite some of our journalism work as long as that work is of benefit to the community, thus the Public Benefit Corporation. So it is not the sole revenue stream, but as newspapers and media companies look to diversify their revenue streams away from just advertising, it is a stream that can be meaningful overall to the viability of the business operation. So this is so new as is your corporation, your network, the first to do this? Or are there other examples that you know of? That have, um, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I mean, there are other public benefit corporations uh, that have uh, in, in recent years um, have come to fruition. I'm not familiar with any that are in the media space. Um, and then there are things like the Pointer Institute, which you know, many are aware of down in, mm-hmm. uh, in St. Pete. And that was a, a slightly different model. The, that Pointer is a non-for-profit uh, and the paper, actually, at that time, it was the idea when newspapers were throwing off a lot of cash flow, it was the cash flow from the newspaper that would support the journalism study at Pointer. So it was this would be a little bit uh, reversed. And so mm-hmm. as opposed to the profits of the newspaper going to fund the, the uh, Pointer Institute, in this case, it could be the institute that can help fund the journalism. Okay. Has the Philadelphia Media Network, have you given yourself a, a five-year plan, a three-year plan to determine, okay, this is the structure, it'll work, we will we will continue into our 200th anniversary in 2029? Well, not, not that specific, Joe, but what we have done is, again, um, I, I don't think there's anyone, uh, as, I, as I shared with our board of directors, um, if anyone says, well, here's the answer, here are the solutions, I think they're they're full of it because I don't think anyone is, is quite sure. We're, we're still dealing with new ground. What we've uh, specifically tried to do here in speaking with our board, with our employees, et cetera, is, you know, in building a, a budget for 2016, we wanted to take a look at 17 and 18 as well and ensure that, you know, we had, we had as, as, as reasonable a, 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 a runway, if you will, a three, three-year runway of profitability to help us experiment, learn, and develop along with our peers throughout the industry in America and in Canada. And so, you know, it, it's really it's really a time to innovate and experiment and find out what works. And uh, and it's and we're fortunate the timing that uh, you know it was just serendipity, but along with Jerry's new structure and gift, um, we were also selected by the Knight Foundation uh, to be part of a uh, of a one year program along with the Dallas Morning News, the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, and the Miami Herald, uh, and the Philadelphia Media Network, the four of us are engaged in a year-long process to try to you know, innovate uh, digitally in both our newsroom and our business side. And uh, you know, we, we just had a, a fantastic uh, week in Miami uh, for our second go-around with those peers. Uh, earlier in October, the first meetings took place here in Philadelphia. And we're just each each uh, company is taking uh, two or three or four different initiatives that they are going to develop, work on, and then share the results with the not just the other papers in our group, but with the industry. And it's, uh, again, th- this is the kind of thing I think right now 
that's imperative for media companies to be doing. I had a wow moment when I was reading about your history and the fact that uh, the history of the paper has been connected to, uh, or was connected rather, to the Civil War and reporting it, and, and also 20 Pulitzer, Prize, uh, right. Pulitzer Prizes. Right. Now, you know, I wanted to focus just on, on the employee. So uh, with any, any reporter, any editor uh, who comes into your paper, since the change has taken place, um, have they noticed anything? Uh, is it is it you know business as usual kind of thing, or is uh, you know are you? Yeah. What's it like? Well, I I think that it's um, funny because I just before our call was uh, in our newsroom, you know, talking with uh, with a number of our reporters and one of our editors, and I will tell you that you know you have to understand that in the last ten years, I think there have been five ownership changes, uh, you know, for our for our company and. That in itself, there's a lot of disruption. You layer that on top of uh, the economic struggles of our industry, and, and you know, I, I think our employees have been through a lot. Uh, I can't begin to empathize with all they've been through, and I think that we've been, you know, with this, with Jerry's ownership, uh, there's a sense of promise. I think there's a, a an excitement about a this new structure, what it might mean. I think there's an excitement about again our participation in the night project. Um, but there are some growing pains, too. Uh, until uh, a few months ago, you know, we ran, uh, even though they were in the same floor in the same building, we had three entirely separate newsrooms. So there was a newsroom for the Inquirer, a newsroom for the Daily News, and a newsroom for Philly.com. And, you know, uh, being the, the new guy, that, that to me didn't make sense today economically, but also strategically. And so we have uh, gone to and are moving into just one major newsroom. Mm. So we had some staff reductions, and while you know there were reductions overall in the journalists, our one newsroom is now much bigger than any one of the three were before. And mm. as we try to look at it, Joe, it's it's think of it this way: you can you can you can look in the rearview mirror and think about all the things you've lost and what you don't have anymore. That's not going to serve any of us well going forward. So our folks, we've just tried to take this approach and said, look, knowing what we know today, with 23 Pulitzer Prizes uh, between our uh, newspapers, um, the talent that we have, if if we were a new startup and we wanted to to really cover the Philadelphia market extremely well, and you told that new startup, look, you're going to have a $30 million budget and you get to hire over 250 journalists of great talent, how would you deploy that? How, I mean, that would be a pretty exciting proposition. So, again, not trying to be naive or Pollyannish, mm-hmm. but that's the approach we're trying to take. And, and uh, you know, while there are some growing pains with it, I can tell you, you can feel the extra energy uh, with, uh, with, our, with our folks. And, again, we haven't figured it out yet, but we are sure as heck on a path to try to do so. Well, uh, tell me something. Uh, speaking of energies, it's is it a regular thing for? Um, is it you, or maybe is it a regular thing for publishers to show up to uh, the newsroom and hang out with the reporters and editors and just talk about news? I don't know. I mean, I I just I wasn't a trained journalist, but I've been fortunate to be in this business for a long time. I I worked for the Pulitzer family at their flagship in St. Louis as publisher for ten years, and and then the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is a, a great great newspaper as well, and. I just always, I've just always enjoyed hanging out in the newsrooms, and you know, you got to know what's going on, and, and yeah. uh, trying to be a part of the editorial board discussions, and uh, you know, and when when possible to hear what the the daily budget meetings are, and you know, again, 
you you spend most of your waking life at work, and uh, I just always wanted it to be a place people want to come into. And I think relationships and knowing people and their families, I think those things matter. Excellent. You know, uh, you made the comment about looking in the rearview mirror, and I, I wanted to get to my next question about uh, looking in the rearview mirror of free online content. Uh, is it time that newspapers banded together to get rid of the digital content that's online and start getting people to pay for it? I mean, this is, isn't that what has partly has led to uh, a lot of the struggles that um, you know, papers and maybe other industries are having as well? Well, it's a a great question, Joe, and there are so many points of view on that out there. I can't speak for others. I can speak for myself. Uh, If if I could help, if if I could turn back the clock to, uh, you know, the uh, mid-90s when we all really started cranking up the Internet and started our dot-com sites and and, uh, just gave what we have is very valuable, gave it away for free, I think we, I think we greatly compromised greatly compromised our detriment, our value proposition, because as Warren Buffett says, it's kind of hard to have a business model where you're, you're trying to get paid for something you're also giving away free. Um, and so I think that you see, as I mentioned, the experimentation, um, you see more newspapers experimenting with meters, uh, pay meters. Uh, some are having success, some have failed and turned away from it. Um, but I think, you know, what we produce costs money to produce, and hopefully it's valuable. And you have to find a means to establish that value. And I think that, I think, yes, if we could, if we could turn it all back and start over, I'd certainly advocate for that. But, you know, since we're down this road and, and here's where we are, I still think we need to reestablish that value proposition and get paid for our content. Excellent. Terry, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, best of luck to uh, you and your colleagues in your organization. All right. Thank you, Joe. Nice talking to you. Terrence Egger is the publisher of the Philadelphia Media Network. You've been listening to Station to Station. I'm Joe Pavia. Check out other podcasts, blogs, and photos that are posted to the site. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a reply at the bottom of this page or send an email to s2spod at gmail.com. That's the number two, s2spod at gmail.com. You'll also find that address on the About Joe page. Subscriptions to the podcast are free. If you follow this site, you'll receive instant notification via email of a new post. All you have to do is go to the bottom of the homepage and enter your email address. You can even sign up a friend if you want. That's all. We'll see you on the next podcast.